0: we're gonna make it we're gonna make it we're gonna make it make it make it, make it we're gonna make it.
1: spring.
2: <laughs>
1: is yeah. this what spring means to us?
2: Apparently. When did that happen?
1: I don't know. I am so stuffed up I can't even I can't even deal with all the liquids inside my face right now.
2: Ew. Don't talk like that.
1: Except my mouth. My mouth is really dry.
2: Welcome to we're going to make it a monthly podcast about art and artists and their their drives and their desires and urges <laughs>
1: not their urges we don't
2: i think it sounds better when you say it so today we're going to do things a little bit differently Mhm. although actually we've said that every episode so far
1: well this is only our fourth episode so they're all different yeah good on us for for constantly <laughs> changing things up
2: since our last episode involved us speaking with five artists all within the one hour
1: oh my god what a hellscape to edit that Oh Yeah, Ma-
2: Moss was sad after. So this episode's kind of a polarized reaction to that, in which we completely recoil from group discussion. That's right. Yeah, today we just speak to each other. No guests at all. Just Moss and Taylor. No,
1: no, no, that's not. We, we have a guest, but we only have one guest today. Oh, a right. single guest. But this is a very momentous guest for us.
2: Yes, you see, this is the first guest of ours we haven't actually known it all prior to interviewing.
1: That's not what I was going to say. I was going to go on the route that she is possibly the most accomplished artist that we've met, and she works in one of the most traditional fields we've covered.
2: Also, Moss didn't grow up with her, which is kind of big for us here.
1: (laughs) Um, More importantly... This is an episode where we finally look back into the annals of artistic history. You see, everything that we've kind of looked at so far has been relatively modern. done a bit of design with Jennifer, electronic music, modern culinary arts, photography. But finally, finally here at We're Gonna Make It, we look at a medium with a history as old as art itself.
2: It's true. They've been painting for a while. Oh, we're doing painting. Did we tell them that yet?
1: <laughs> no, that was, that was the big reveal right there.
2: Painting!
1: Yes, today we are looking at watercolor painting. Are you looking forward to this episode, Taylor?
2: You know, I actually am. I haven't painted mm, ever. I'm sure I painted as a child, but I think that was more using my hands.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean.
2: So I think it's going to be possibly very difficult, but really fun. And watercolors are cool. I didn't hadn't actually thought ever about watercolor painting until we started looking into Renee's work and seeing the different stuff she does. But the effects are amazing.
1: They really are. I mean, it's the sort of thing that we encounter, as you said, probably like in elementary school, because it's the paint that's easiest to clean off of clothing and children. And children, yes. And so you get this sort of infantile perception of, okay, you've got you've got your big ugly brush, and you've got your little palette that has the paint built in, and you just sort of moisten it with water, and then you smear, 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 and it doesn't really look great. But yeah, it turns out that children's watercolor painting kits are not the be-all, end-all of the medium.
2: Although the one we bought kind of looks like it's for kids.
1: <laughs> it may as well be, but we'll get more on that later.
2: Yes. I'm cautiously optimistic. I I feel like I'm going to be disappointed by whatever I end up making, but I have all these hopes and dreams that, like, there's a painter hidden inside me. We are going to meet her today. Oh,
1: are you... Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> For a second I forgot that you were a woman. <laughs> I thought you were referring to the guest that we have on. <laughs> I thought you were saying that she's inside of you.
2: <laughs> uh, I ate her.
1: <laughs> Our guest... <laughs> I, I swallowed our guest and we're going to meet her today inside me as she fuels my power to paint.
2: So you can just ask me the questions and uh, I'll answer.
1: <laughs> let's uh let's 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 move on. Even though we're looking at this sort of traditional style, we're looking at an artist that does it in a very modern way.
2: She doesn't just use paint. She actually brings in ink and line drawings to add detail to what is otherwise sort of a a vague art form.
1: Indeed. The woman that we have today on our show is named Renee Nalt. She's a professional illustrator from Victoria, B.C., her first name is spelled with two E's, and her last name is the second half of Taylor's last name, pronounced without the French accent.
2: My last name's Arsenault, just in case you've forgotten. Her last name's Nault. No, Nault. It's, it's actually spelled the same. Just sounds different on the radio. So Renee, she was born in Vancouver, but has traveled the world finding inspiration in diverse global cultures before returning to the West Coast. Her work has similarly spanned the globe in books, magazines, newspapers, and advertising campaigns. Her most recent personal challenge is to transform her preferred method of watercolor painting with inked outlines to the world of graphic novels. Let's say hello, shall we?
1: Hi Renee, how are you doing? I'm good. Renee, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in TOPS, two sentences.
3: I'm Renee Nault. I'm an illustrator and comics artist, and I use mostly traditional media, uh, work by hand in watercolors and inks. And I try to use a lot of nature and mythology themes, kind of like repeating motifs that are significant to me and. Hopefully they resonate with other people, too.
1: That's great. Wow, you did a, a shockingly good job of putting <laughs> it into one sentence.
3: <laughs> I tried my best.
1: So I, uh, I of course, saw your feature in Juxtapose magazine. Oh, yeah. I was really impressed oh, by your work. thank you so much. You're welcome. I mean, the uh, the vibrant colors that you use and that sort of uh, almost sort of haunting use of shadow here and there, I thought it really popped on the page. It looked really oh, yes, impressive. thank you. So I understand, just looking through your bio, that you've done quite a few things.
3: <laughs> well, I went to Sheridan College in Ontario. I took the three-year illustration program. And after I graduated, I started doing freelance illustration for music magazines, fashion magazines. I started doing newspapers. I do the LA Times pretty often, uh, the literary section usually. Um Yeah, I do art shows, like gallery shows, and I've started getting into comics as well.
1: Tell me a little bit more about your time at Sheridan. I'm kind of curious about how you got into your career as an illustrator.
3: Yeah, definitely. I always knew I wanted to be an artist. I thought I wanted to be an animator, so I applied for that, and luckily I didn't get in because (laughs) knowing a lot of people who are animators now, I would not have enjoyed that at all. A lot of like sitting in a cubicle and stuff, and mm-hmm. as an illustrator, you have a lot more freedom to just kind of go where your mood takes you
1: so what uh what was it that kind of i don't know inspired you as a as a young artist
3: um like my influences yeah,
1: what was it that made you want to be an artist?
3: Oh man, well, like really, I always did like as long as I can remember ever since I was a tiny kid, I loved drawing. My dad used to work for, like, a paper company, I guess, and he brought home these huge reams of paper, like, giant wall-sized pieces of paper, and he would, like, pin that up on my wall, and I would start at one corner and kind of, like, fill the whole thing with just kid stuff, like unicorns and rainbows and flowers and shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, I guess, maybe, I guess that's where it started.
1: So, having gone to college, were you optimistic about your ability to actually make a career doing art?
3: Yeah, it's always kind of a crapshoot. Like
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I uh I definitely I knew I had to. Like it's what I always wanted to do, so I knew I would find a way somehow. And I certainly always like expected it to be a struggle and kind of resigned myself early that I might never be rich doing this. <laughs> but um yeah, I mean, I think you can always make a career of it if you're persistent. It just might not be, you know, fame and fortune type career.
1: <laughs> yeah. So when you started doing freelance work out of college, did you have a good response early on? I mean, were you were you working regularly?
3: I was getting a lot of work, but it was very low paying and like mostly stuff I was doing for exposure.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I did a lot of stuff like Exclaim Magazine, the music magazine,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: I magazine in Toronto, like the alt-weekly type stuff. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff for not nearly enough money to live off of just to get my work out there.
1: Mm-hmm. It must have been uh, pretty exciting when you got picked up for the LA Times.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was a big thing. I have to thank my agent for that. So <laughs>
1: You have an agent?
3: Yeah, a lot of illustrators will have like a rep. I started looking pretty early, but it was a while before anyone actually wanted to take me on. <laughs> Nobody really wants you when you have no experience. Yeah, she's been she's been good. She's gotten me some really good gigs.
1: What is it like to do illustrations for uh, a fairly major publication like the LA Times? Do, do they just send you a commission and you just sort of pump it out within within a week? or?
3: Um, it really depends on what the job is. For editorial, like for the LA Times, it's usually a super fast turnaround, like I'll get a call on Thursday and the final will be due on Monday. So, yeah, it's usually that fast or even faster sometimes. But then sometimes I'll get like like an advertising job or um, like a book job. And those can last for like months or even a year.
1: You've done some marketing. Uh, anything anything exciting anything interesting
3: <laughs> nothing that anyone would have probably seen like a lot of like small fashion magazines um, most of which have folded over time because of the print industry being what it is well, yeah and a little bit of like music stuff like i I did a an album cover for a compilation nothing exciting like Pepsi or anything. <laughs>
1: Was it was it just Mad Men through and through? <laughs> was it just drinking and philandering the whole time? Oh,
3: yeah, it was very glamorous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Renee, tell me a little bit more about your art. I was particularly interested when I saw that you were going to do a graphic novel, but it looks like you work almost exclusively in watercolors and ink, which is a bit of an unusual medium for comic art.
3: Yeah, pretty much. I'm doing the whole comic in, like, watercolor and ink just straight onto the page, And then scanning it. So it it looks really, really handmade, which Mm -hmm. is what I wanted, but it is taking a really long time.
1: (laughs) That's what I was really curious about. I mean, making the move from non-progressive artwork to something so story intensive with such a time crunch. Yeah. Are you a little bit worried about that?
3: I work pretty fast. Like, um, I can usually do a page in about a day and a half which is slower than people who are working digital, but it's not that much slower. So hopefully mm-hmm. I can get up to speed with a little bit more practice.
1: Well, that's actually that is really impressive that you can turn it around that fast, because I've looked at the concept art for your book, Witchling. Mm-hmm. I mean the designs are spectacular the detail is absolutely marvelous oh, as well you you. Know, you you get these great close shots of shelves and record casings strewn all across the floor and and it's it's very detailed yeah. and that was that was the moment that I started wondering uh, <laughs> is she going to be able to
3: I've been wondering that myself in the last few weeks
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the book tell us about Witchling
3: Okay so it's kind of like a fantasy like a surreal fairy tale based fantasy set in the 1920s in a world that is kind of like ours, and it becomes clearer later on whether it is or not. And it has to do with a, a girl who doesn't know about her past, but she can talk to cats. She's having these really strange dreams with uh, monsters and strange figures in them and doesn't know what it means. And that becomes revealed over the course of the story.
1: I like the cats, by the way. Oh, thank
3: you. That's good because I'm drawing a lot of them. <laughs>
1: well, no kidding. I guess you got to be really committed to drawing cats for this sort of work.
3: Yeah. Well, luckily I have my cat, and I can sketch him and all his funny poses that he does. So.
1: Do you do you use models quite a bit for your for your work?
3: Yeah, for sketching, like for inspiration. But when mm-hmm. I do the actual pages, I mostly just try to do it from my mind so that it all looks consistently my style.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Tell me about your process here. How do you how do you start a painting?
3: Um, usually I just start drawing and find something that looks nice. Yeah, it'll like come to me in a way like I'll have a cool image in my head and want to get that out.
1: In particular, I'm thinking about this uh this bizarre animal from the Witchling concept art that's like a almost like a deer except it's got fur that almost looks like leaves.
3: Yeah, that is something I've been sketching for a really long time. It's kind of based on a a Japanese mythological animal called a kirin, and I kind of like crossed that with a deer and with a a medieval picture of a unicorn where the unicorn looks almost more like a goat. It has like feathery feet. And uh, yeah, like kind of they all went to a blender in my head and that's what came out.
1: You say that you tap into mythology quite a bit for your work.
3: Yeah, definitely. I love Japanese mythology and constantly collecting all kinds of world mythology stuff.
1: And uh, when you were putting together, say, the character design for the main character, Mm -hmm. was that pure imagination going into her? Did you base it on anybody?
3: I didn't. I I was just kind of sketching her for a long time, and she went through lots of different looks. And I finally came to the one that I liked the best— and some people say it looks a bit like me, which is totally not intentional and <laughs> I'm a bit worried about that.
1: <laughs> Do you start with color? Like for the for the main character of Witchling, she has this vibrant, sort of flaming red hair. Yeah. Was that one of the critical components early on, or did you sort of choose that color after you had sketched her?
3: That was pretty early on because uh because of the idea that witches used to have red hair or women who had red hair were suspected of being witches.
1: I've never even heard that. Oh, really? Yeah, that's totally lost on me. Really?
3: Yeah, in medieval times, if you were a red-haired woman, you had to kind of watch your back.
1: <laughs> ah, all right. Let's uh, let's 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 get down to. You say that you're in a studio right now. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it.
3: Um, it's really really messy. <laughs> it's basically just a. a, a box, like it's a shed that's been converted into a studio. I've got one big wall that's like tons and tons of sketches and photo reference and all kinds of stuff I've found everywhere. Then just like piles of books and my table. Yeah, it's a huge mess. It's terrible. I'm embarrassed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you find it valuable, though, to have sort of this uh, special sanctuary to go and do your work?
3: Yeah, I think as an artist, you really need a space where you can just always have your stuff, like you don't have to clean it up at the end of every day. So yeah, I definitely need a room.
1: So, uh, so why watercolors?
3: I like the spontaneity of them. They kind of do their own thing on the page, and you get all these weird splotches and bleeds, and you can't really control what happens with them. So you get this weird, like, I don't know, idiosyncratic look.
1: It's like what you said before about how the graphic novel looks handmade, almost sort of raw.
3: Yeah, I really want to keep it like looking like it was all just made on one page and like the panel borders are all rough and the word bubbles are all rough. But Having started it, it's really obvious why people don't do it that way, because it's a huge pain.
1: (laughs) Tell me more about that. So do you do it all on one page?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Sometimes if I have to redo a panel, I'll do that on a separate page. But yeah, I try to keep it just one page, do the whole thing. Like what you see on the screen is what I drew.
1: I keep on trying to ask you about your process, and then I get distracted. (laughs) Tell me about your process, Renee.
3: For, like, the graphic novel? Because that has to be planned a lot more. So that's been kind of a challenge.
1: Do you sort of come at it from a writing perspective or from an art perspective first?
3: I've got the story all kind of mapped out in, like, bullet points. And I try to be flexible with, like, the dialogue and stuff to make it flow with the artwork, like, with the page. So, kind of both, I guess.
1: So, what was uh, what was your motivation to start this graphic novel?
3: I've always really wanted to. Like, I love graphic novels, and I I love storytelling. So, I've kind of had this story in my head for a couple of years now. So, finally, I decided I just had to do it.
1: Have you been picked up by a publisher, or are you doing this as an independent publication?
3: Um, I have a lot of interest from a couple publishers, so for now I haven't really settled on anything. I, I'm not really far enough along to do that, I don't think.
1: I understand that you're releasing the uh, the first issue at the uh, Toronto Car- Comic Arts Festival.
3: Yeah, that'll be exciting. It's like, uh, I guess, the first 50 pages or so of the story.
1: That's that's a pretty substantial first issue.
3: Yeah, it's a really long story. It, that was another bad choice but that's how it is
1: (laughs) how if you had to guess right now how many issues would this be
3: i kind of have it planned as three books and each book would be around like 250 pages yeah it's you're not supposed to start with a long story and i know that but that was kind of the one i was interested in and i really tried hard to like start with a small story and i just couldn't stay interested in them so i was like well i'll do the big one who cares
1: I've noticed that on your blog, you're very open about your process. I see that you answer questions, you create elaborate diagrams to help people understand exactly how you work. Do you feel like public interaction is important to your art?
3: I think so. I've seen a lot of other artists doing that lately, and I really love seeing it. So I decided, like... I might as well do that too. And a lot of younger artists seem to really appreciate it. Like, I get a lot of people contacting me for school projects and stuff, like asking, can I interview you? Or, you know, do you have advice for uh, young illustrators and stuff?
1: I guess it's, it's part of just the era that we're in, right? This sort of, you know, Web 2.0 idea of kind of user-created content. There's this expectation of information and communication between people and their and their icons.
3: Definitely, yeah.
1: Do you think that artists have sort of a responsibility to be transparent in their work these days?
3: No, not a responsibility, no. But I think just younger people expect it more. When I was in high school, I would never have contacted an illustrator out of the blue and, like, asked them all these questions. Like, it would not have even occurred to me. And uh, young people seem to have no problem with that. Like, they just expect people to be open and ready to answer their questions. Which is good, I guess. I mean, I'm sure they're learning a lot.
1: No, of course. I think I think it's really fascinating to be able to interact so directly with people and have and have somebody who you look up to actually respond yeah. to your questions right there on the internet. It's
3: exciting. I'm jealous of them actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to go to TCAF and meet like uh, Art Spiegelman and Alison Bechdel and a few of the other like major graphic novelists who are going to be there.
1: Are you going to ask them questions?
3: I think I'll be too nervous, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my book signed and shake their hand, and that'll be that, probably.
1: I met the guy that made Magic Cards last year. Really? I got a card signed oh from my God. Was in elementary school. That's about it.
3: That's adorable. Too
1: nervous to say anything. <laughs> oh, God. So what are your goals for the future, Renee?
3: Um, Well, I have other stories I want to do, and I'd like to get into telling other people's stories, like just illustrating for other writers. There's a project I'm hopefully going to be doing next year, which I can't actually talk about because I haven't signed a contract, but it's for a major publisher illustrating another author's work.
1: Oh, fantastic.
3: Yeah, really excited. Hope it comes together.
1: (laughs) So your book, Witchling, will this be available to buy on your website?
3: Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to be posting probably like the first 20 or 30 pages as like a teaser oh, so fantastic. people can click through that.
1: That that was what I was getting at. I didn't yeah, want to add, yeah. I didn't I didn't want to plead, but uh, but that is nice.
3: I really like to read the comics online that like web comics are so good nowadays.
1: Do you feel any pressure to offer things online considering, you know, you said it yourself that the print media industry is, is having a bit of a hard time?
3: Yeah, well, a lot of comics that have started out as web comics go on to be print comics and sell just fine. Publishers I've talked to say it doesn't even make a difference, like, or even if you post it as a web comic, your print comic might sell better just because of the publicity and people want to own like the physical thing.
1: When is the uh, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival?
3: It is May 11th and 12th, I think.
1: May 11th and 12th. So that will be your grand debut.
3: Exactly. And I'm also doing one in Vancouver, uh, the Vancouver Comic Arts Festival, at the end of May. So people who live on the West Coast can come to that one.
1: Now we're talking. Yeah, That works for me. <laughs> Well, Renee, thank you very much. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure.
3: Nice to talk to you, too. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Take care, and uh, good luck with Witchling.
3: Thank you very much.
2: It's really
1: nice. I'm really looking forward to her comic book. I think it's going to be really cool.
2: Yeah, that looks awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. I uh, I had a lot of fun talking with her. She was a she was a really entertaining guest to have on, and uh, I particularly liked it because she was really tolerant of my unique uh, recording style. <laughs> Renee, uh, say yes. Yes. And say no. No. Say uh, hello again. Hello. You see. This way, we can just sort of fudge things if we didn't actually get the material that we wanted. For example, Renee, can I have a free issue of Witchling when it comes out? Yes. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, while we're at it, do you have a problem donating a portion of the royalties from the comic to this show? No. Oh, that's so generous. Ha! Ah, how does 65% sound?
2: Hello. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not really perfect. Still, yet. though,
1: I mean, it's, it's a verbal contract. I'll be expecting a check in the mail. Right, Renee? No. Oh, I meant to hit yes.
2: (laughs) Okay, enough blackmail for now. You got bigger things to deal with, Moss.
1: (gasps) Oh, no, Taylor. Is it.
0: (laughs) Contest Contest
2: time! time! Yay! Today! we fly into a flurry of painterly combat. Watercolors will be shed, and ink will be drawn, not from a pen, contest. but from the hearts of our opponents. Uh, uh, Hurrah! Uh, uh, contest!
0: Yay, Yeah! yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> to, uh, to prepare for today's competition, we visited the Opus Art Supply Store in downtown Victoria, and we just completely terrorized some poor employee there. <laughs>
2: It was actually pretty funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, we just sort of barged in. We were just like, we need watercolor stuff, and but we don't care about it, and we're only going to do this once.
2: He showed us this book of really nice paper. It was like 40 sheets. We were like, no, one sheet. <laughs>
1: once, once. We're going to do this once. Give me <laughs> less paper. Uh, first, first of all, though, I mean, we, we, we stormed in and, uh, and grabbed a bunch of things off the shelves and then we found a guy and we were just like, we're doing watercolor painting. And he was just like, are you, what you're holding canvases? Yeah. What of it? (laughs) It's just like, you can't, you can't paint on canvas. Why not? Yeah. Yeah.
2: He was good.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. We, uh, obviously were buying a lot of this stuff. Blind, with no, no indication of what was good or what was bad. You see, it was only after we had these supplies that we asked Renee what she would recommend.
2: So, what did she say she uses when she paints?
1: Funny story. Funny story about that. You know how I said before that Renee was super tolerant of me? Oh, no. That was probably her finest virtue, I would say. Yeah. We had done her whole interview, and it was grand. And then I interviewed her for the judging and for all these little tips and tricks and all this content on what sort of paint she uses and all that. Yeah. So it was about a half an hour of recording that I took out of her busy, busy schedule. And, yeah, it didn't record. It didn't record.
2: What? What happened?
1: I used this shareware program i use this 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 free program to record skype interviews and it's been super good but i'm always so paranoid because i can't view it live recording it just sort of once i'm done a skype interview pop there is just an mp3 file and this time no pop so i totally lost it on many different levels
2: (laughs) Yeah, I witnessed that, and I I wondered what had happened.
1: So she, fortunately, was totally willing to do a second recording the day after. So she was super good about it
3: because I've heard this exact same thing before on other podcasts where they're like, we lost it, so here's us doing it again.
1: Well, I guess that's comforting, I suppose. <laughs> Think of this as a positive do-over.
3: Awesome, yeah.
1: This time was the dress rehearsal, and now pff, we know what to put in.
3: 100% less ums.
1: <laughs> 60, 60%. We've got our paper. I asked her what kind of paper she used when she does watercolor painting.
3: Um, Depending on the work, um... Uh, Oh, already so many ums. Um, like a, a heavier one for gallery work. The arches, the heaviest kind they have, usually cold press. And for the comic, much cheaper. Um, I'm using the Opus uh, student grade, I think, because it's cheap and pretty good for the price. What's cold press? Um, cold press has more of a texture. I guess it has something to do with how they make it. All I know is that cold press is has got that kind of like tooth to it. Uh, whereas a hot press is, like, perfectly smooth. Like, the cold press will really pick up all the little textures of the paint. So if you're doing, like, a landscape or something, then you really want that. I know some people who do portraits like a hot press because it it's smoother, you know, so you get more of, like, an even grade.
2: So what did we buy?
1: We bought cold press. Yep. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. We have some Canson, Canson. Hmm? I'd
2: go Canson.
1: Canson. 9 by 12 paper, it's rough. Apparently, Canson's been making paper since 1557, so I guess they're pretty good at it.
2: So so what's this? Like, 140 pound?
1: Oh, that's uh, that's the weight. Paper has weight, I guess.
2: What does the weight mean? Because this paper doesn't weigh 140 pounds.
1: It doesn't.
3: Um, basically, the heavier it is, the less likely it'll you know curl and buckle and all those weird little bumps that appear in it.
2: Okay, and does our paper have a heavyweight then?
1: 140 pounds. Apparently, no. This is not a heavyweight at all. Like 250 and up is like heavy. Oh. So, there's a technique that you can do for soaking and stretching a light paper to make it hold up better when you're splashing water and paint on it, right? Because because that's that's the thing. When you dampen paper, it curls and uh, and warps, like Renee was saying. Hmm. So our paper, unfortunately, is not heavy enough that it'll hold up against this sort of thing. But in terms of this technique of soaking and stretching, Renee's never really had any luck trying, and I figure we'll just tough it out and just let the paper curl. I mean, we're just going to be scanning it into the computer anyways, not hanging it in a gallery.
2: Well, we might hang mine. It's going to be good.
1: I said not hanging it in a gallery. Mm, True. The fridge, just assure it.
2: Oh, I want to hang it on the fridge.
1: We're totally going to hang it on the fridge.
2: Uh. (laughs) So, what does she do for brushes? Because I know we had a really hard time in Opus with this, because there were so many brushes, and they all got really pricey.
1: Yeah, I know. I just, I did not want to buy a $20 brush for just one episode. Especially since, you know, the watercolor brushes are just for watercolors, and oil brushes are just for oil. If we did an acrylic episode later down the line, we couldn't use these brushes for it.
2: I really wanted to buy an acrylic brush, because it was the cheapest.
1: (laughs) But, but, okay. But, feel these brushes. See how soft they are? Oh. Stop rubbing it on my face. It's yeah, soft. It's, it is soft. It's very soft. <laughs> what is the most expensive brush that you own?
3: Oh, God. It's not expensive at all.
1: Probably, like,
3: a $12 brush.
1: <laughs> oh, really?
3: Yeah, I can't... Like, those nice sable ones that cost 50 bucks. like, I would ruin it so fast, it wouldn't be worth it.
1: We have two brushes.
2: They cost us 4 and $8, respectively, and they are both from the Opus Capella line, size 10 and a size 6.
1: I hope that's fine.
2: Well, the brush is only one tool. Well, two tools. But hopefully our paints will be good enough to cover any mistakes in our other materials,
1: right? <laughs> no. Uh, well, our paints are from the Pentel Arts line. We've got 12 tubes of vivid color, and I told Renee what type of paint we were using.
3: Yeah, those are... I wouldn't go that cheap. I have tried them. Like, I used them a lot in high school. And basically, like, once you switch to, like, the next stage up, you're like, oh, it's so much easier now.
1: It says right on the back, blends easily to create subtle hues.
3: What do they mean by that?
1: (gasps) Well, I don't know. I'm not a painter.
3: Well, I mean, all paint blends. So (laughs) it's kind of like saying... Makes color on paper to create paintings.
1: Actually, that is on here too.
2: Oh, that's not encouraging.
1: Whatever. they cost us like seven dollars.
2: Yeah, they were the cheapest.
1: <laughs> so I've set up our little studio here in our dining room. i've uh, I've cut a bunch of pieces of cardboard. I've slapped them down on top of the table. I've taped them down to the tables so that they don't move. and now I've taped down sheets of our canson paper. Yeah, hopefully that'll hopefully that'll do. Moss? Yeah?
2: Do you think the duct tape is going to, like, wreck the table?
1: It's definitely going to wreck the table. Are you fine with that? Maybe I should have asked you that before I did it.
2: It's already taped down?
1: It's already taped down.
2: I am fine with that. Very good. So, what are we going to paint?
1: I don't know. What are you going to paint? Are we going to try to adhere to Renee's style? What does she like to draw?
3: Um, people. Just people. Um, <laughs>
2: cats, I guess. <laughs>
1: The stumpy legs are really good.
2: I love I fat cats.
1: I just oh, love yeah. Them.
2: I can't draw cats or, or people. I can't draw much of anything, to be honest.
1: She does some cool landscapes. I mean, although they're usually behind people or cats.
2: I actually do really like the hills that she has in some of her paintings. The really neat kind of smooth style of them. So maybe I'll try to emulate that.
1: <sighs> do you want to just start doodling? Like, well,
2: how, how does Renee usually start? Like, we should follow her technique.
3: I guess I start with just like an idea, usually something that occurs to me like when I'm out walking or when I'm reading a book or something and uh, start sketching and come up with like a composition that I like or like just an idea that I want to develop a little bit more. Um, And then I start like actually drawing it nicely until I get it to a point where I want to start the actual painting Then I transfer it onto a watercolor page and just paint it.
2: Okay, but what happens after the painting? She uses ink, right?
3: Yeah, if I'm going to do like an ink line, I do that last.
1: Yeah, I totally forgot about the ink. Uh, I'm going to go find some of my art pens and you think about ideas.
2: Okay, so we looked at a bunch of her paintings online and she does a lot of really different styles. She does a lot of people and I, I can't there's no way I'm going to be able to draw a face or paint a face or anything like that. So I think I'm going to do something that's more landscapy. y um, Like I said, I really like her hills. I really like that one of hers that's called Islands, and it's just got these beautiful dark hills in the background. So I kind of started sketching while Moss is off looking for pens, and I've got these hills. I, I think I might do actually like a road coming between them, and then this kind of pastoral scene Just give me a second here to to kind of do some sketching. So I've got something all drawn out. Hills and a road, and then there's some trees, and I've got some tiny little cows in a field. And then there's a little car driving down the road. It's not what I was expecting to do, but I think it could be good. Maybe this will be my practice watercolor. I don't know.
1: All right. So I'm just looking for my pens here. I'm thinking that... For my picture, I want to do something Russian. I've been playing this interactive fiction text adventure game from, like, 1988, made by Infocom, called Border Zone. And it's a really fun game, and there's, like, spies during the Cold War interacting across the Iron Curtain. Plus, I saw Gorky Park on tv last week and it was it was good so i've got this image in mind of maybe a a guy like walking through the snow like panning a flashlight around looking for something looking for clues maybe finding like like a, a body or something in the in the snow i like i like that that russian hat and i can give him like a bright red nose so there's the color i think it'll have that cartoony style drawing a person it'll look good with the hard lines from these ink pens that should be a good emulation of sort of renee's style of of drawing characters hopefully all right i found pens
2: cool so how long do you think this will take it can't be like that long right it's not that big of a piece of paper Uh,
1: i don't know renee works in pretty long hours eight hours
3: a day six days a week and now, like right now, because I'm finishing the comic for TCAF, um, probably like 12 hours a day.
2: <laughs> well, I want to be done in time for elementary.
1: Oh yeah, that'll be fine. Editor's note, we missed elementary that night. Oh man, are you moving on to paint?
2: Yeah, so I'm mixing uh, just a couple drops of water in with the paint. How much does Renee usually put in?
3: depends on the effect basically more water for like a nice wash like a nice translucent effect and then hardly any water for like the bright bright like when i do the hair on the red haired character in witchling um it's like almost straight
1: paint what are you uh what are you starting with like what are you going to paint first
2: i'm going to start with the sky which is going to be blue and then i'm going to move on to the darker colors which are going to be Greens.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with watercolor, you always have to work light to dark, which is kind of a pain because you want to kind of, like, lay in some of those darks and get an idea of what you're looking at, but you can't really do that with watercolor.
1: Oh, 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 shit. Shit. Oh, God. That, what happened? That is just a huge, friggin' ugly blob of gray on my nice brown. Uh-oh. I... How do you... How am I going to fix this?
3: You really can't. I mean, only to a limited degree. Get it wet again and then kind of sponge it up with a a dry paintbrush or a paper towel. But that's really only going to take you so far. Work around it or maybe that's a really good place to put like a big block of shadow
2: Yeah, I actually had the same problem with my road. I just didn't cry about it.
1: I didn't cry.
2: You didn't hear me
1: I just had the sniffles.
2: So I was painting my road. I had my gray road, and then I painted the little yellow line in the middle, and the little yellow line kind of just went splat. So I was like, oh, that's all right. I'll just paint gray on top of this. And I started to paint, and it was a completely different shade of gray. So instead of a tiny little yellow splot, I had a large dark gray circle. That just kept getting larger. Maybe I can make it like a shadow. That didn't work. Maybe I can... and yeah. Anyway, guess what I learned?
1: What did you learn?
2: Instead of putting new paint on, you know how you fix it? You just get all the paint off your brush, get your brush wet, Mm -hmm. and then just start working that paint that's already on there with just a a plain wet brush. And you can actually take a lot of the paint off that way. You take, take it off and you rinse the brush, take more paint off, and then you can just kind of... Smear the paint, get it all damp again, and mix it all together, and the colors actually blend. Mm-hmm. So now my road looks kick-ass. Yeah. True, true, true story.
1: I'm I'm trying that right now. I'm I'm just getting this brush wet, and I'm just going to try to take some of this paint off now. Here, you can see how completely unforgiving this medium is, eh?
2: Yeah, I can't imagine having to complete, like, a contract with a
1: deadline doing this stuff. I know, being a freelancer? Jeez. So
3: if I'm working on a really tight deadline, like it's due the next morning, um, I sometimes will, like, do two of the identical painting at once. Basically, if one of them is screwed up irreparably, I can just move on to the next one. So it's weird, like, with some of my editorial work, I have basically two identical paintings, one of them finished and one of them almost finished. It's a weird system, but it's really saved my butt a few times.
1: Man, doing two pictures at once would mean that you have to have a really tight game plan. You know, you can't just, you can't just sort of do what we're doing here where you sort of improvise as you're, as you're painting if you have to have two identical pictures, right?
3: And that's like my least favorite thing about watercolor is you really have to plan ahead. There's room to be spontaneous with the paint itself. Like you can kind of take advantage of the weird effects that happen with the paint, but you can't really change your mind halfway through a painting.
2: I think mine's pretty much dry, so it's time to ink. So how does Renee ink things? Does she use a brush or a pen?
3: I have a croquil pen. And a bunch of different nibs for that. Croquil? Like
2: feather? The like
3: plastic stick with uh like the calligraphy nib that you sometimes see. Uh it's like a like a metal nib, and you can replace it on the thing. That was well described.
1: We don't have a fancy pen like that. We just have a couple of stadler Lumo colors from my private collection.
2: So are these are these the sizes on here? You have an S, an F and an M. What do those mean?
1: Is it fine, small, and medium?
2: Well, the F is bigger than the S, so no. And also the medium is, like, gigantic.
1: Maybe it's small, fat, and massive. (laughs) Works for me. That'll do. That'll do. I'm taking the small
2: So imagine, if you will, a bright blue sky across the top of the painting. It's all swirly watercolors. And then there's three hills. And the hills are kind of a dark green. They look like they're sort of off in the distance. The green gets lighter as it comes down into the fields and the grasslands. Coming down the middle of the painting is a curvy little country road. And driving along the road is a little red car. On the left side of the field, there's a little brown fence extending across the middle and three adorable little cows grazing in the field. And on the right side are uh, four trees in the field. The trees have inking defining their branches. It's a scene of pastoral happiness.
3: So Taylor's painting is the landscape, um, and it's really nicely done with the, uh, the watercolor effects She's used the transparency of the paint, really nice, vibrant colors. Probably the weakest parts of it are the drawing, but that could easily be improved with just a few tweaks. I really like the cows on it. I don't know. They're really cute. (laughs) And then she did the outline at the end, which is probably the weakest part of it. The trees, I think she probably was trying to make them darker or more detailed, and so she lost that nice transparency that she has in the hills, and it, they become kind of muddy, like, she probably, like, worked into them a little too much. I guess she was trying to replicate the watercolor and ink style, but it probably would have been better as just a pure watercolor.
1: A man trudges through the snow. The man is centered in the, uh, oh, no, I didn't use the law of thirds. The man is smack dab in the center of the frame, which I think is pretty good composition. There are footprints leading back away through the snow. He shines a flashlight forward, illuminating traces of blood. The man is wearing uh, one of those sweet Russian hats and a big heavy trench coat to illustrate how cold it is out there. Also, his nose is all red, so you know that it's cold or he's been drinking. The man looks stern. He is an investigator. He will find out what this means. There are shadows blurring in from the outsides of the border. It looks pretty good.
3: Moss's painting is, uh, is much more illustrative. It's got a whole scenario, and uh, it's got a really beautiful effect of the snow and the light and a really cute little character who, I guess he's not cute. He's solving a mystery. He's finding some blood. So maybe it's kind of more macabre than cute, really nice effects with the light had some trouble with uh, the transparency of the paint and made it thicker in a lot of places. So it has almost a more painterly acrylic sort of effect. Um, Yeah. And nice, nice uh, drawing work on that and nice composition. Yeah, it really looks like an illustration, like it could be in a book or a a newspaper or something.
2: Okay, so what did she say?
1: Well, I know, of course, what she said, because I recorded the audio with her, but I haven't told you yet. Man, she deliberated for like 10 minutes over this. It sounded like, seriously, the toughest judging that we've had yet.
3: Well, it is a really hard choice, because... Moss's painting is, succeeds more as a full illustration. Like it, all the elements work together and it's sort of got the composition and the concept and everything. But Taylor's painting is more successful as a watercolor because she's used the transparency of the paint and it's, it's definitely more loose and free. So in the end, I think I have to say Moss is the winner, but it's a very hard choice. Oh. Uh
1: no oh <laughs> i mean yeah i don't know why you just got me sympathetic for you yeah
2: uh, good. Work, i win
1: Alice. i'm a winner
2: i'm i feel okay because she
1: mm-hmm. still
2: liked mine
1: so. definitely oh yeah she really liked yours she was actually super apologetic for voting against it well
3: it's like a contest on the internet and yeah, i'm just one opinion here so
2: <laughs> okay That makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, Moss. I think you probably deserve to win.
1: Well, you know what? She had a really good point. Yours took really good advantage of the watercolors. You had a nice light wash. Mine, I went deep and hard, and I basically treated the paints as if they were Photoshop, and I just said, I want color here, and then I applied highlights and I applied shadow. So Mm -hmm. I feel like mine is well-constructed, but True. I, could have, I could have made it in a variety of different mediums, not just watercolor. So
2: technically, in terms of learning to use watercolors, I win.
1: I guess so, except I did learn to use watercolors in the way that I wanted to use them. So I think I win. Plus, I win. So
2: There, there is that.
1: So, so I win. <laughs> well.
2: well, we're definitely going to revisit this medium again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe we'll do another watercolor episode in the future so I can get my revenge. Maybe we'll just hang out in the kitchen and make paintings.
1: Maybe, maybe. Uh, In anticipation of this, I asked Renee for any advice that she could give us for next time.
3: Mm, My advice would be plan ahead a little more. Decide where your darks and lights are going to be. Like, maybe do a sketch first with, like, pencil crayon or something. Maybe get some better paints. That's that's optional. I would say don't use the greens. They're not worth it. Mix your own greens. Yeah, that would be those are my main bits of advice.
1: Well, Renee, thank you very much for coming on our show, and thank you, everybody who's listened today.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Renee that was awesome, and I'm really excited to try painting again.
1: Mm-hmm. This has been we're gonna make it.
2: We're a, gonna make it
1: a show about
2: Actually we should say we made it, because we did.
1: This has been we made it. Yay! <laughs> that's a different show. <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody. If you are interested in dropping us a line, you can contact us at makeitpodcast at com, or you can find all the information about our show, including the images of our paintings that we made, at our website, makeitpodcast.wordpress.com.
2: You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and on iTunes.
1: Tell us more about iTunes, Taylor
2: iTunes. iTunes are great. You can do stuff on iTunes. You can, uh, you can, like, sign up on iTunes and download on iTunes. And rate us. You can rate us, and then we'll get popular on iTunes.
1: Thank you, as always, to our sort of informal, perpetual special guest, Olav, for providing the musical accompaniment at the beginning and the ending of Renee's interview. Olav's website, as usual, is olav.bandcamp.com.
2: Excellent, as always.
1: Excellent, as always. Thank you to another talented musician that we don't pay at all, Kevin McLeod, for the music that I use to compose that little soundscape beneath the witchling description. His music can be found at incompetech.com.
2: Thank you very much to Renee, and good luck at the Toronto Comic Arts Festival.
1: Thank you. Renee's work can be found at reneenault.com. That's R-E-N-E-E-N-A-U-L-T. And, uh, and a thank you to an old co-worker of mine, Brooke Fargo. We used to work together at the Wax Museum in Victoria. It was through her that I even found out that Renee existed due to her posting about Renee on Facebook. So thank you, Brooke, for that.
2: Yeah, much appreciated, because I'm glad that we know Renee.
1: Our world is better for it. Well, to all you out there in Internet land. And to those of you who listen to this show not on the internet but
2: in your cars
1: in your cars while you're walking while you're walking while
2: you're cleaning your house
1: while you're cleaning your house
2: while you're sitting because you don't know how to transfer the the podcast to anything mobile
1: that is a very large demographic I would say Hi, Mom. Did you Did you see, Taylor, when we were visiting my parents the other weekend? They have hooked up an old radio from 1952 that was made in Ontario. So this fantastic old Bakelite thing. And they have hooked it up to their computer as their computer speakers so that they can listen to our show on the radio.
2: We're going to make it goes retro.
1: I am so proud of that. Thank you, folks.
2: And actually, I should clarify, my mom knows how to put it on her iPod. Anyway, I think we're done.
1: Have a good day, everybody. Have a great one. One.
0: (laughs) Have
1: a good one. Should
0: we say that again? No, it's fine. We did it. We made it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Make it. Make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. It. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. Make it, make it, make it. We're gonna make it. gonna make it. We're oh. gonna make it. Make it, make it.